Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. And that's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctors. Planned Parenthood needs your support now. Now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAIP-owned brands right now like Cardin, Kaja, Emilia George, and hey, Meve, plus you can help support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Won't you date me? The podcast where me, Nicole Byer, tries to figure out how I'm still single, even though you could rip my headphones out of my ears, hide them forever, never tell me where they are, and I would still date you. I am running out of these. But my guest today has written some incredible things like Bad Feminist, Hunger, Difficult Women, and Untamed State. It's Roxanne Gay. Hi. Oh, Roxanne, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Oh, my goodness. I truly I, I think I've told you this before because we we met and we, we had coffee and it was delightful. Uh, but I loved hunger so much. It I like you have a true talent of like you wrote a book and any old person can read it. But I felt like you were talking specifically to me. <laughs> That means a lot. I love when people feel like my work connects with them. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, it's a very specific book, but that people still see themselves and their lives and the stories of their bodies in the story of my body um, means quite a lot to me. There was one story in it that really spoke to me, and it was... Um, on the elliptical, a thinner person had gotten on the elliptical next to you, and you were like, I will out outlast this person on this elliptical if it fucking kills me. And yes. going like a gym is not a nice 
place for fat people. Mm-hmm. I feel like when you walk in, people immediately look at you and they're like, ugh, you don't belong here. But then the world tells you to work out. So you're like, well, where the fuck do I do this? And there's been so many times where I'm like, this thin person on the treadmill, I will stay on longer Mm -hmm. so they know I'm working. And it's like, girl, what? (laughs) You know, the funniest part of that is at the end of it, like I've won what I think is a moral victory and then I'm exhausted and they go about their (laughs) lives and still have a shitty attitude. Uh And um, it's incredibly frustrating because, you know, when I, in those moments, I feel like, Oh my God, I'm giving in to everything I stand against. Mm -hmm. But it also feels so good because people think that fat people don't work out and don't aren't fit. And You know, I look at Lizzo, who Mm -hmm. does these extraordinarily energetic 90-minute, two-hour shows. And I always wonder, do you really think she's not working out to sustain her energy? Like, that that's someone with a really intense fitness routine. Mm -hmm. And um, it's just interesting. And I I feel like the thought holds even truer to female-identifying bigger bodies because there are these huge football players that are like 300 pounds and I don't see men walking around being like, they're unhealthy, they're not fit. Uh, So I feel like it's strictly women's bodies that are bigger, that are sloppy and not strong and not healthy. It's so weird to me. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, we we live in a strange world with a strange understanding of women's bodies. We truly do. It's always interesting to see what men get away with mm-hmm. and the bodies they're allowed to live in without comment or question. Mm-hmm. And we see this on television a lot where <laughs> so there much. is a guy who is perhaps rotund and balding, nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. and dating a supermodel And or married to a supermodel or an incredibly conventionally attractive woman. But you never see the reverse. You never see a beautifully fat woman and a conventionally attractive man together. It's just the hypocrisy Mm -hmm. is galling. It's so wild. This is uh, probably a question you've answered at nauseum but i think it people ask me all the time they're like how do i get into comedy and i'm and it's like well you have to do it to mm-hmm. then do it so when did you discover that writing was something you were good at and something that you wanted to practice and pursue i started writing when i was 4 years old which is very young but mm-hmm. i mean i was writing what you would expect a 4 year old to write <laughs> <laughs> like very silly little stories mm-hmm. um, but they were earnest And I don't know that I ever knew I was good at writing, but I always took myself seriously as a writer. And I made time for it. And I read constantly. And I submitted my work even in high school when I was writing quite terrible things (laughs) and was being rejected resoundly and deservedly. Um, And so it's always been this way. But I started really getting published in my 20s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was writing a lot of erotica and, Ooh. Mm-hmm. and <laughs> you know, just telling some very good sexy stories. And 
I, cause I had sort of given up on mainstream publishing. I just thought, well, they're never going to like my work. So I'm just going to find a playground that is interested in having me play on it. And then when I turn like in my thirties, I was going to graduate school and living in the middle of nowhere. And I started to submit my work again to mainstream publications. And this time, I think because I had been actively writing the entire time, people started thinking my work was reasonably good and accepting it. So <laughs> I like <laughs> I like how humble you are about the whole thing. You're just like, people started liking it. Uh, I think what people <laughs> like the best is you write your voices. It truly like comes through. And when I read it, I feel like it's almost like a podcast. Like when people mm-hmm. listen to podcasts, they're like, I'm listening to friends. So when mm-hmm. I read your writing, I'm like, oh, a friend is telling me a story um, because you write in thoughts as opposed to complete sentences, if that makes sense. Like, uh, yeah. And I, I really, really appreciate that. And I love it so much. Uh, I often get stuck trying to create and I push myself to like, take little bits of time to figure out what I want to do for the day. And that's hard. Being a creative person is hard. It is, you know, for me, I enjoy, I love writing. I'm not a tortured writer by any means. (laughs) Now, certainly creativity is easier on some days than others. And sometimes I'm not feeling any inspiration and, and every word feels like um, I'm pulling it from stone and I'm very unhappy with what I create. Uh, and I think a lot of people try to glamorize creativity. And the reality is that it's work and mm-hmm. it's beautiful work and it's fun work and it's fulfilling work. But you know, to come up with entire books or screenplays or, you know, TV show ideas is actual work and it's a practice. And so many people believe in this fantasy of the muse. And certainly you can find inspiration in all kinds of things. And some people do have muses. But uh, I always think of muses as women who are providing emotional labor for <laughs> male artists without compensation. <laughs> and so I am my own muse. Uh, but, you know, it's an actual practice that takes work. And I wish we would talk more about the practicalities of creativity uh, so that people would recognize that you really just, you know, how do you do comedy? You do it. How mm-hmm. do you write? You literally write. So many people reach out to me and ask for advice about how to get started. And mm-hmm. I know what they're looking for. They're looking and they they also always share all the sort of conspiracy theories that there are around publishing. And I have to disabuse them of that notion and, and admit, yeah, there are some challenges you might face along the way, but have you written a book? And nine times out of 10, they haven't even started to write anything. Mm-hmm. They're just worried about publication. And I'm just like, but you have nothing to publish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, a lot of like uh, when I started out, all the advice was like, have something tangible to show people. Yeah, you want to be an actor, but like, do you have a web series that someone can use in lieu of a reel since you have no uh, work to speak Mm -hmm. for yourself? And I think people don't want to do the work if they don't know what the outcome is at the end. Yes. And I think that's so interesting to be like, well... I think it's because a lot of the world is one plus one equals two, but you're just like in creativity, it's like, oh, one plus one can equal two, but it could take 10 years for it to equal two. Yes. And I think that more people should understand 
the realities of creativity and especially the business, so to speak, like that not everything you create is going to become what you think it's going to become. Mm -hmm. And especially in entertainment, I don't think people realize how much development and (laughs) work behind the scenes Uh goes into pretty much, especially for people of color and black women. Like, I don't think they know how many years you spend developing behind the scenes before you ever, ever get something that maybe will get on the air. Mm-hmm. And because it's not glamorous to talk about that. People are more interested in the story of someone who like wrote a tweet and got a TV deal. Like that's the exception <laughs> to the rule. Yes, absolutely. It, it, it's just such the exception. When you look at most writers you, and you look at their sort of development resume, they've developed like five pilots mm-hmm. and you will, you'll never see them. You'll never hear of them. And that's okay because they were doing the work to get to where they need to be. And, you know, it's not glamorous, but it is what it is. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, I was also looking at your Wikipedia page. I didn't realize how much college you went to. You've been to so much college. (laughs) I did all the college. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a doctorate? I do. That's so bananas. (laughs) Yes, I love that. Um, It's I was always so bad at school because. I have like ADD and I'm a visual learner and teachers Mm. never took the time to figure out how to teach me things. So Mm -hmm. I just grew up being like, school sucks. I hate it. Mm -hmm. But like you being in school for so long, you must learn in a way that's universal or how did you do so much school? That's an insane question, but I I genuinely. No, I actually understand the question. I, I was very good at school. In in many ways, I kind of treated school like a video game and I just kept leveling up mm. and I understood the rules of school and and how to succeed by playing by those rules. And I don't know that if that's a good quality or not. I, you know, I'm ambivalent about whether or not that's like the way to go. But I was one of those people who is fortunate enough to be able to to thrive in that environment. I also am really glad I'm done with school. Like mm-hmm. I don't ever need to be a student again. And as a as a professor, I, I meet students all the time. So um, I get sort of whatever fix I might crave of the academic setting from my students. Mm-hmm. And that is enough for me. But yeah, I just <laughs> knew how to play the game. And I have Haitian parents and they're really intense and mm-hmm. very invested in education. And yes. so... I just was not ever given space to do anything but be great at school. Like that wasn't, it was not an option and they were not interested in any struggles you may have had learning. Like Mm -hmm. they just, like when I look at, especially at my brothers um, who also did really well and, and did a lot of school, but I think struggled in different ways. I struggled socially and I think that they had focus issues at times, and they still did well because it was just wasn't part of our framework that anything of but that was possible. But you know, like there were consequences to that, mm-hmm. and so it, it's just interesting to um, now be on the other side of it and think, "Wow, I really went all the way." What <laughs> the fuck? Uh, my my dad's parents are from Barbados, so mm-hmm. my dad mm-hmm. was born in Barbados. I'm first generation on that side of the family. Mm-hmm. And they 
love school. They mm-hmm. to this day are like, well, when are you going to go get a degree? When are you when are you going to get a real job? And I'm like, I have a real job and I'm doing OK. But like, I don't have a college degree. And to them, that means any amount of success I get isn't real because it's not validated by a diploma. I mean, I'm sorry, but do they not have a Netflix account? <laughs> they sure don't. Okay. <laughs> because I don't know how they can say that. That is outrageous. I am I, furious yeah, I, on your behalf. Like, they, excuse me. <laughs> They're old. They stay inside. My sister mm. will tell them. She'll keep them updated. But every time I see them, they're like, so? Maybe you'll go back to college? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no. I'm done. I don't. Yep. I didn't go to real college. The thought I went to like an acting conservatory mm-hmm. and what I see from movies, it seems like high school is still like hands on. You're in a class. Uh, they take attendance. You better show up. You get penalized for being tardy or not showing up. And then in college, they're just like, hey, if you come, you come. And also it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's It seems like we set people up for failure because there's no in between. You know, I think we have to really take a long, hard look at our educational system because from K through 12, we basically put children in day prison Mm -hmm. and, you know, schools are built like prisons and we treat children that way. Like go from this room to this room. Don't don't run. Don't talk too much. Raise your hand. So Mm -hmm. we like instill that discipline for like 12 or 13 years of a child's life. And then we are like, all right, go be in the world (laughs) and good luck. And I remember when I actually went to um, boarding school. And so I had some independence from the beginning of high school on. But when I look at kids who go direct from a a traditional like public high school to college and that lack of structure and the lack of consequences unless mm-hmm. until the end of the semester when you get your shitty grade and you're like, oh, wait, was there something I was supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, it's quite a, a culture shock for a lot of students who aren't prepared, especially, you know, I look at first generation students who don't have anyone to tell them, hey, here's what you can expect from mm-hmm. college. And then you also see the students who are extraordinarily privileged and know what to expect from college and don't give a fuck anyway mm. and just do what they want. And so you see all kinds of things and um, it, it's a quite a transition and it's not for everyone. And I don't think we prepare children adequately for the demands of having to go to class on your own, mm-hmm. do your homework on your own. And uh, there should be a bridge year of some kind. Yeah, I think so. I what is boarding school like? I truly the only thing I really know about boarding school is like from movies and television and I don't know if any of that is true. <laughs> but what yeah, yeah what is boarding school like? Uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm black. So it's exactly as horrible as you would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I had something good to say about it, but I don't. Uh, I would send my child only because now I know what to look for mm-hmm. in terms of what happens at boarding school. But for me, it was great academically and socially. It was a nightmare, partly because it was a predominantly white institution. And I was from Nebraska, so I was used to white people, but mm-hmm. I was not used to ul- ultra wealthy white people yes. who didn't know what to do with a black person 
that didn't embody what they thought a black person should embody. So they just Mm -hmm. didn't know what to do with me. And of course the black students were like, get your shit together. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Which they they got, they gathered me quickly and um, I'm grateful to this day, (laughs) but it was rough. It was really rough for me. I was really nerdy. I was also just messed up and I was, yeah, it was a rough time and I, kind of hate everything about it. And now Mm -hmm. that everyone's talking about what it means to be black at various institutions, they've done a black at Exeter um, Instagram. And I read that shit like it's my stories. I'm just like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) that happened to me as well. And it's also heartbreaking that 30 years later, this shit is still happening. Mm -hmm. Like that the racism of the institution is still there. And, you know, I did a speaking event at my high school two or three years ago. And I was hoping that when I got there, it would be like a drastically changed institution. Mm -hmm. And it was the exact same high school that I left. And I could just tell it was the exact um, same high school. And it was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting. always a bummer. I didn't realize how racist the town I grew up in was Mm -hmm. until... uh, I mean, I guess I always like knew, but just was like, well, that's just the town. But um, there, so there's two high schools in my town, Middletown High School South, Middletown High School North. And Middletown High School North, uh, the school I didn't go to, uh, had a black ballot Victorian this year. And she posted something where she was like, I succeeded in spite of not because of there's so much racism, blah, 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 blah. And then the parents response was well, you're going to Columbia. So, I mean, it couldn't have been all that bad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, way to not hear what this person is saying. They literally said, I succeeded in spite of, not because of. And I feel like when people of color, black people, especially black women, especially because she was a black woman, speak out about shit like that, people are very quick to be like, but you have X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. You should be grateful for that. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's just like, no, I shouldn't I shouldn't be grateful for just normal things that you take for granted. Right. Like. The end product, the end result is not it doesn't make the suffering worthwhile, mm-hmm. you know, and frankly, it happens despite what you went through, like exactly as she said in her uh, valedictorian speech, like mm-hmm. I achieved this despite everything you did to keep me from doing so. And. Yes, I may be going to Columbia, but, you know, I'm sure she knows she's going to encounter a lot of the same issues Mm -hmm. at Columbia. And, uh, you know, like this idea that we should be grateful for things that we've earned and like for, frankly, scraps Mm -hmm. is just uh, it's a lot. It is a lot to um, to swallow. Yeah, it's a lot to process. It's a lot to try to make people understand. And I feel like all of the. I got to do some press for my book, which I'm very grateful that I am able to have a publicist. But like a lot of the questions were just like, as a black person during this time, Mm. and I give the same answer. And I don't know if people are listening now. I was like, they were like, do you think people will continue talking about this? And I was like, well, black people never stopped. We (laughs) (laughs) we never in our art, our music, our comedy, we never stopped. So like. I think the question you should ask is not to me, but to other white people to be like, are you still listening? And then I was like, I would love to see a white person interview another white person and be like, what are your thoughts? 
I don't see that enough. Mm-hmm. I feel like they're very complacent to ask people of color, black people, how do you feel? But they don't ask each other. And I guess it's because they don't want to be wrong. But I'm like, if you're not wrong and corrected, how can you learn? You know, mm-hmm. like, don't be afraid to say something. If you say something that's like racist or whatever and someone calls you out on it, just go, oh, my bad. I'm going to learn a little bit more about that. And I feel like we don't do that enough. We don't. And so often people put the the onus of of keeping people thinking about diversity and inclusion and equity like they make us responsible for freeing ourselves from our, from our oppression mm-hmm. and it's ridiculous and I, I the older i get and i think probably the more established i get the more i just love to call people out for asking me stupid ass questions about race or sexuality <laughs> Because, like, why are you asking me this? Black people have, like, and I say this publicly all the time, Black people are not the problem. There is not a goddamn thing we need to do about racism at all other Mm -hmm. than collect the check for reparations, period, and end of story. Deal with it. And, you know, like, now that white people are finally aware to more of an extent um, about the depth of and breadth of racism. Like now they want to like, make sure we are aware of what they've just learned. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, we know we've been here all along. Have you read a single thing I've written? Like we know. And then what's so frustrating. And you know, this, like when you write a book that may include race but is about so much more mm-hmm. and you're asked questions about race like because the only thing you can be an expert on is your blackness or your womanhood mm-hmm. um is it's infuriating it's infuriating like guys i am so much more like race isn't even really my beat and, and what are you doing mm-hmm. i just am black and i care about equality and i talk about it but i talk about a hundred other things as well and yeah the myopia yeah. is overwhelming. I had this interview uh, with uh, these people, these two white people. And <laughs> when he was introducing my book, it's called Very Fat, Very Brave. And he goes, I mean, I'm not saying this. Uh, they're telling me that the name of your book is Very Fat, Very Brave. And I was like, yep, nobody told you that is the name of the book. Uh, <laughs> it's OK to say uh, I'm a fat woman. It's something about me, whatever. And then he asked me another question about quarantine. And he was like, again, uh, this is something they're telling me to say. You pole dance? And I was like, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with pole dancing. And it's one of the worst interviews I've ever given because I stopped giving a fuck. Once I felt that someone was shaming me before they even got to the question, I was like, Mm -hmm. go fuck yourself, good sir. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's how dare you invite me to take time out of my day for you to openly judge me, you rude motherfucker. And Ugh. also the condescension of those of, of the 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 way they ask those questions. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this is a I have a bias about this issue, but I'm gonna pretend I don't have a bias, mm-hmm. little lady. Like, yeah, fucking stick a toothpick up your dick. True. Stop talking to me. <laughs> Yes, honestly, that's what I wish. I wish for him to stick a toothpick up his dick because I was right like, up there. Mm. just from these two statements, I know how you feel about fat people and I know how you feel about uh, sex work. Like, even though like mm-hmm. I'm not a sex worker, but people associate Paul with sex work. I was like, now I know that you don't like either of those things yep. and you think you're better than those things. And I'm like, 
but you're not the segment before was talking about how you lost your phone and that's like television okay dude like you just i it, it just it blew my mind i ugh, it made me so angry and what's so interesting is that these guys get to control so much of the discourse and mm-hmm. people look at them and their banal lives and think they're interesting. Meanwhile, here's this gorgeous fat black woman who pole dances and they're like, they don't know what to talk to you about. <laughs> like seriously, you've yeah. given them five things right up yes. front. And that's like without even turning the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. It's infuriating. I mean, infuriating is the word. I can't stop saying it because that's just what it is. And I don't think people understand, especially when you write about being a fat black woman, I don't think people understand how stupid the questions are. Mm -hmm. When Hunger came out, I had to do a fuck ton of press, and I'm extraordinarily uh, grateful for that. But I am also still really traumatized by it because Mm -hmm. people ask me so many questions that were offensive. I remember doing uh, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was so proud and I was so excited because my dad loves Terry Gross and I really admire her or I did. And so she, we get into the interview and she says, so could you please describe your body to me? (gasps) And I was like, I'm very tall. Because I knew she wanted me to say some sort of self-loathing thing. Yes. That reinforced what she thinks. And if you look at her and like ta- see her shows, she clearly has some fat phobia issues. Mm-hmm. And maybe, I, I, I don't want to diagnose her, but she's got some stuff going around going mm-hmm. on around weight. And, and she said, no, but like, how else would you describe your body? And I said, very tall. Because <laughs> I just I, I just was like, do you really think that I'm going to sit here and denigrate myself mm-hmm. for you to, to, to like, it was just, I'll never forget it. I will never forget it. It was like, just, I wrote the whole book about my body. Yeah. It's like, did you read any part of it? There's no. so many things that you could pull from the book, positive and negative about your body mm-hmm. that it's just like. Asking you to describe it is just being redundant at that point. Yeah. And also salacious. Like, yes. And I know what she was getting at. She was getting at what I would say 96% of all of the journalists were. Because I write what my highest weight was in the book. Mm-hmm. And not one single article about the book to this day has not mentioned that number. <laughs> and I, I kind of put it in there as a sort of canary in the coal mine. It was a way of testing. Like mm-hmm. to see who was worthy of the book and who was not and like the only person who was worthy of it and who did not exploit that was trevor noah yeah i i think trevor noah is he's a great interviewer and he's smart and he does the research before he starts his interviews which i fully appreciate it's also so funny i don't remember the number i Mm -hmm. but then again i guess i was reading it for myself and not as a voyeur Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in the world as opposed to looking in the world. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of times people go, so uh, you love yourself, but how? And it's like, oh, so you really didn't understand it. Yep. Because it's not how, it's just I choose to. Correct. And what they're really asking with that question is, how do you love yourself when I am so repulsed by you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, people just cannot imagine 
And like, if you read my book, I talk about having good days where Mm -hmm. I think I'm just fine as a person and deserve to be in this world. And of course, days of self-loathing because I live in this world that is so fat phobic. Mm -hmm. But people are so, they just don't get like how I don't kill myself. Mm -hmm. Because I think if they were my size, they would. Yep. And it's really telling. And the other thing that they get really interested in is like, oh, you're in a relationship? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm actually married. Like, And they're very surprised mm-hmm. because, again, they could not imagine being in a relationship with a fat person. And it, it's so telling. And I actually appreciate when people tell on themselves. I can't say I mm-hmm. enjoy it because it ends up being painful to me. But I appreciate when people show me who they are and what they value and what they think. And also, I look at them and I just think, listen, I wouldn't fuck you either. So (laughs) That's something my mother used to always say when I would lament about my friends, you know, getting their first boyfriends and whatnot. Mm -hmm. A, she'd be like, you're a little black girl in an all-white town, so that you got that against you. Two, would you want to date that person? And the answer was usually like, no, they're Mm -hmm. gross. Their hair is greasy. They're not attractive to me. So she was like, so don't want or long for something that you actually don't want. Right. That's such a good, wow. That's such a great thing for a mother to tell you. Oh, she was full of, I miss her so much. She was full of so many like things. Like she wrote me this letter because I very much was a little girl who, I don't think I was jealous, but I would always be like, well, why can't I have this? She said I had an entitlement problem. She was like, you think you're entitled to a lot of things that you're not. She's like, and the world isn't fair. Some people want long hair who have short hair. Some people want to be lighter when they're darker. Some people want to be darker when they're lighter. She was like, you can't have everything. You need to learn how to be happy with what you have and go for what you want. Mm -hmm. And I'm so fucking blessed to have had that and Mm -hmm. that I still have that letter and that I can still read it Mm -hmm. and keep a little part of her with me every day. Um, But real quick, we have to take a break. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service that's all about helping you have fun and get creative with your style. Shift gears in your wardrobe without a complete and expensive overhaul. Dressy stuff, trendy going out clothes, casual tops and premium jeans, sweaters, outerwear, vacation fits, you name it. For just $98 a month, you get a choice of any six styles each month access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands with inclusive sizing, fast, free shipping and returns, and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility, plus the option to buy what you love. I like Newly a lot because sometimes I don't want to like own a sparkly thing because I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to wear it more than once. Also, I have a ton of sparkly things. And Newly is very good at like having a sparkly thing that I'll wear once and then I can send it right back. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code DATEME20. Just go to newly.com, N U U L Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code DATEME20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. 
That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com. Newly with two U's with code DATEME20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Spring is the best time to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, tap into your power, and build towards whatever you're looking for. Okay, Peloton can accommodate your schedule with a variety of class lengths to choose from. Even if you only have five minutes, there's a class to get your body moving, and I have to stress how important that is. Five minutes is better than no minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and mood. Move at your own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take the guesswork out of working out. So you can just jump right in, keeping your fitness journey fresh every day because that's what it is, a journey. And listen, Peloton has everything you need to get to where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, uh, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton is something for you. Ooh, the Peloton classes I like to do are strength training. I also like the yoga because um, I'm always trying to get more flexible um, because I love doing splits because I'm slutty. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at (laughs) OnePeloton.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, there's always something that I really need to talk about. And thank God I have a podcast. But then there's stuff that I don't want to reveal publicly. So I talk to a therapist. And listen, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get stuff off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. And I got to say, that's very important because the first person you meet might not be good for you. So even though it's work, you got to work to find someone who like is helpful and is good for you. So don't stick with someone just because you feel like you have to. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DateMe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DateMe. Okay. Hey, did you know one in five Americans have learn a new language on their bucket list? If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste time on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned out in the real world. Babbel made it super easy for me to brush up on my Spanish before my vacation to Mexico. See how I said that? It's it's better and it sounds like I speak Spanish. It just makes traveling better so you can like order food, ask for directions and flirt with the locals. Me encanta muchacho. (laughs) Without having to consult 
consult language apps while on vacation. Here's a special limited time deal for my listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for my listeners at babbel.com slash date me. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash date me. Spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash date me. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back. Um, so you I didn't know you were married. I thought you were engaged. I was engaged. We eloped. Um, our wedding was supposed to be in October. Mm. And the Rona. So we, we pushed it to October 2021 now. Uh, so we mm-hmm. are still having our big fun party because I've never been married. And well, congratulations. Thank you. And so we just we went to a website called instantmarriagela.com and then went to a little office building in Encino and a Russian woman <laughs> married us under a plastic hoopa. It was great. <laughs> the way your face lit up. I love it. That's so cute. Yeah, How did you meet your partner? Uh, she's very persistent and she has a podcast called Design Matters. And she first invited me to be on the podcast. And I told her to get in touch with one of my publicists and my publicist did not get in touch with her. And so eventually she wrote me back and said, it's been a few months. I've emailed your publicist a few times. She hasn't gotten in touch with me. And I said, you know, I'm honestly just interviewed out right now, so I'm going to pass. And then hunger Mm -hmm. came out and she sent me a beautiful email talking about how much she loved hunger. And I don't know that I responded. (laughs) And then a couple of years ago, she did an event with a mutual friend And the mutual friend afterwards, they were having drinks. The mutual friend um, mentioned that I'm her mentor. And she said, oh, my God, I have a crush on Roxanne Gay, but I know she has a person. Uh, What's going on there? And my because I was in a relationship at the time, but I was allowed to see other people. And um, my friend said, shoot your shot. And so she shot her shot and emailed me again Mm -hmm. (laughs) and said that she would like to take me out on a proper date. And I said, sure. I'm so terrible. I am so terrible. Like I'm literally with her despite my best efforts. And eventually, after like several one word emails, we did have dinner after an event in New York. And uh, we've been dating. We were dating ever since. And yeah. Oh, that's cute. I love how persistent she was. I love that she was like, this is a thing that I want and I'm not fucking giving up. And it turns out like she had started to invite guests on her podcast that she thought I would like. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I didn't, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> I didn't even know about this. But then she showed me all of these incredible guests like Amy Sherald, uh, Dalma Golden, um, a bunch of other people that I really respect and admire. And so like her instincts were just on point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always, it was the first time in my life that anyone has ever chased me first it's time. Like it's chasing in a respectful way from what I'm understanding, but then also giving you gifts without asking for anything really in return. Yeah. It was so, Ugh. yeah, it was just so honest. She was just so earnest and honest and she never really, she, she was not pushy. She was persistent, but not pushy, which mm-hmm. is so important. And while being chased is very attractive, I actually ended up really liking her and then loving her like as mm-hmm. a person. It wasn't just the chase. She's just endlessly interesting to me. So, yeah, it, it was surprising and great. And every day is an adventure. I love that phrase, endlessly interesting. 
I think like that's what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I think that's what everyone is looking for. Someone that they just want to talk to every day. Correct. And when you find out that new thing, you're like, oh, wow. I, mm-hmm. I just like get to put that in my little lexicon about all the things I know about you. Yeah, I love that term. I'm going to use that. I find you endlessly interesting. Oh, for sure. Like when I learn something new about her, I'm like, wait, wow. How did I not know this about you? <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. It's just so great. <laughs> and especially with isolation, mm-hmm. <laughs> we've been we were we've been long distance for our entire relationship because she's based out of New York and I'm based out of Los Angeles. And uh, now we decided to quarantine together. And mm-hmm. whew, if you don't like each other, this could be real rough. Uh, I mean, I, my friends who are not in good relationships are not mm-hmm. in a good place right now mm-hmm. because they're being confronted all day, every day uh-huh. with how bad their relationships are. And I'm being confronted all day, every day with how great this is and uh-huh. that we're actually enjoying it despite the sort of horror that's happening. And, mm-hmm. you know, I I feel really horrible about it and I'm very worried about the world, but at least I have a safe space at home. So. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a forced honeymoon. It is. It really, really is. It, it really is. And so it, it will make our actual honeymoon if we ever take one, if we ever are allowed to get on an airplane again. <laughs> yeah, if any other countries allow us to come. Listen. Oh, boy. Like, nobody wants us. And they're no. right. Yes. <laughs> they are right. Until these people can put a goddamn mask on. Yes. I feel like I'm in school where the teacher is like, if you follow just a couple of rules, recess will happen. And there's a Mm -hmm. bunch of kids, the shitty kids that nobody even likes. And they're like, we're not going to do it. Mm Because I'm like, I've never wanted to go to Idaho. Nobody wants to go to Idaho. But like, wear a mask so you can leave Idaho, you know? Right. You know, and if people in Idaho or Wyoming, and I'm from Nebraska, so I'm not denigrating these places. Mm -hmm. I'm from the Midwest. Um, But like... If you don't want to wear a mask in your town, I can't, I mean, I do judge you and Mm -hmm. I can't, but I can't control you. But don't you dare get on a plane and come to where I live when you want to see some ocean. Like you don't get to have it both ways. If you don't want to wear a mask, that's fine. But you keep your ass in Idaho. Yes. Honestly, I feel like the world is collectively misbehaving. My uncle sent me a video of these three women on a spirit, like, I guess a spirit airline flight was delayed. So then mm-hmm. they were like throwing shoes, throwing hands, fighting with these people. And I was like, oh, so you think fighting with the gate agent is going to open up the plane faster? What is wrong with everybody's cognitive reasoning? Mm-hmm. I, I think people are losing their minds. I do, because they're stressed and worried mm-hmm. about the world and thinking that, um, you know, they're they're worried about themselves. And I get that. I'm worried because I'm, you know, like half of my income has disappeared because uh-huh. I tour. Yep. Same. I make my living touring mm-hmm. and I've done so for the past six years. And to not be able to tour right now, I mean, things are people are figuring out how to do it virtually now, which mm-hmm. thank God. But still, it's a significant drop. And so I'm really worried. Like come January, I don't know. <laughs> things are going to get real yeah. rough. And yet I don't use that as an excuse to take it out on other people. Mm-hmm. And and you see all these white women mostly mm-hmm. throwing these really wild tantrums in Starbucks and 
grocery stores and I'm not wearing a mask. Like, mm-hmm. okay, typhoid Mary, that's a choice, <laughs> but okay. And I think it's because it's the only thing in their control. Mm-hmm. I also think that my therapist was like, yes, people are losing control. So they're trying to figure out ways to gain control again. And black people were getting in on the action because those mm-hmm. three women were black women who um, were what? losing their minds at Spirit Airlines. I don't even know why or how it started. I just know it was like a delayed flight. And I was like, I can't. We wow. we all have to just do a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It would be so nice if people fully like in the beginning of quarantine when everyone thought it was gonna be like two weeks and people were behaving i was like let's go back to that time mm-hmm. that was good but we all were in this together and there was commercials that was like safer at home we're in this together and now it's like those commercials are gone and they're like it's a free-for-all do whatever the fuck you want and it's interesting to see how different parts of la are responding so oh, here yeah. in inglewood everyone wears masks and I, you know, what I appreciate, what I appreciate about my people is that I have seen some of the most amazing and stylish and mm-hmm. interesting ass masks I have mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. seen in my life. Every day, like it, when I'm running errands, I'm like, "That's what's up. Mm-hmm. That's what's up." But then I go to Beverly Hills, ooh, baby, and it's a mixed bag. Some mm-hmm. people are wearing masks, some people aren't, and most, like, you know. There's a certain demographic that more than others is not like engaging in in masking. And I'm like, do you think your money is somehow mm-hmm. a COVID shield? Because that's mm-hmm. not how any of this works. <laughs> no, it truly doesn't. I uh, on the where am I? I'm on the east side. So like it's a, it, everyone's being like mostly good. Mm-hmm. It was just when restaurants opened up again, mm. I think. Like the East Side's very like hipstery scene, uh, scenery, like sceny, uh, like going to brunch and whatnot. So you know, everyone's wants to be seen at brunch, so they're not wearing their masks, they're sipping their you know champagne, they're eating their moldy squirrel jam, and Girl. they. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm, mm, mm. I've never liked squirrel and I felt so validated when that came out. If you don't live in LA, there is this like gentrifying restaurant called Squirrel on the East Side that came, shut down some other restaurants near it, and it has come out that this trendy place is serving people moldy jam in jars of jam that cost twenty two fucking dollars. Wait a minute, excuse me, what? <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't really website, cost $22. Would, let me double check to make sure that I'm not lying. But I truly, I like looked it up and I was like, these are $22. This is crazy. I can send anyone who wants to make some goddamn jam a, a little recipe and you can make jam for about $6. And that includes the glass and, and the materials and the electricity to make your little jam. Oh, okay. I'm a liar. So this one is $15. Which That's is ridiculous. still a lot of money for some jam. I, you know, I have heard of Squirrel. I have never been to Squirrel. I, you know, when I do meetings in Silver Lake, it's always at, um, it's a coffee shop that's really beautiful on the inside and hip. Intelligentsia? Not that one. It's way, it's not that cool. It's like LA Coffee, maybe? <laughs> Something mm-hmm. like that. And it's kind of glitzy. And I've always, like, people have always suggested Squirrel, but I went online to look at the seating at Squirrel, and the seating is too small and uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I was not going to put myself through that while I'm trying to, like, pitch myself <laughs> for something. Like, it's not happening. But now that I know that they sell $15 jam, mm-hmm. what the Filled fuck? No. mold. That's also an interesting thing that, like, I, when I get seated at a table, will, like, 
very quickly scan the table to be like, where will my butt fit? Which which seat's best for my butt? Because uh, mm-hmm. anything with arms is not good for these mm-hmm. hips. No, it is not at all comfortable. And I, you know, when I was younger and heavier, I would actually suffer. I mm-hmm. would like not want to a bring attention to myself or you know make my challenge anyone else's problem. And so I would like sit in in these tiny chairs and just like lose circulation and bruise the shit mm-hmm. out of myself. But now I'm just like, Mm-mm, nope, you better yep. arrange for an armless chair to be there or mm-hmm. they better have real wide arms. Because <laughs> I even if I'm sitting here for five minutes, I am yeah, not going to suffer for you. Not Mm-mm. fun. I no. was once on a plane and yeah, I can't remember where I was flying back from, but I had an exit row seat and this was an exit row seat where the the armrests were metal so it was like a metal box seat and Mm -hmm. i sat in it and i was like oh my god this is like reshaping my fucking body but Mm -hmm. then i was like do i want to be squeezed and have leg room and then i was like oh i don't want to cause them to like reseat me and then it's a whole thing to be like oh why did you move oh i'm too fat to sit in the seat i was like i can't deal with that and Mm -hmm. that was Years ago. Now, truly, when I get on a plane, I'll be like, I'm so sorry. I'm very fat. Uh, <laughs> so then it's like, great, we already started out and you feel bad. So you'll leave me the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. But I just remember getting off that like five hour flight or four hour flight being like, I hurt so bad. I cannot believe how tight that was. Yeah. Ugh. I, I air travel used to be incredibly fraught. There were years where I just stopped doing it because I couldn't afford two tickets. And so I mm-hmm. just drove everywhere. And um, I remember one time I was seated in an exit row and it was there was enough room because I was in the exit row. And this old white man next to me was deeply unhappy that mm-hmm. I was in the exit row. And he asked me if I was going to be able to f- do all of the things on the card if the plane were to crash. <laughs> And I and I actually was like, can you? Because, I mean, he was elderly uh-huh. and he ended up holding up the flight for quite some time. And it was one of the most humiliating experiences of my life. I, and so at, when I got to a certain point in, in my career, I actually only travel first class now so that I don't have also, to deal same. with and, and people who want to fly me somewhere. I just say, you know who the fuck I am. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Either you can afford yeah. it or you can't. And and I respect it either way. Mm-hmm. I do. Because I'm happy to stay at home. I love my house. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, these are these are my terms. And fortunately, I, I can say that. And mm-hmm. um, But it shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't be able to buy your way out of bigotry. Yeah. It helps. But everyone should be free of how small airplane seats are and how restrictive the policies are and how cost prohibitive they are. Like Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be a privilege to, to be comfortable on a plane. Yeah. It's fully insane. And I feel like seats on planes used to be bigger. I don't know. They did. I'm sorry, but they they used to be right. They did. And now slivers of a seat. They're like whispers of a seat. They're just like pretending they're like, this is a seat. Come on now. Like we were in Egypt for, our winter holiday this year. And that's not a bragging thing. It just, we were there and it, it, it was awesome. And <laughs> we had to take a flight from uh, Cairo to Luxor. And it there were, there were no first class seats. It was all coach. And mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And I was freaking out. And 
Debbie was like, it's going to be fine. I'm with you. No one's going to fuck with you because I will kill them. And I was just like, I don't know if this is going to work out. And I got in and and I sat down and, you know, it was snug, but it was fine. Mm -hmm. But I looked around and I was like, this is an old ass plane. And that's why Mm -hmm. I can sit in this seat. And (laughs) like this, this should be the norm. Like Mm -hmm. it, it shouldn't be that like people worry. And even to this day, I have anxiety when I board a plane, no matter what. Yeah, I have a little it's not really anxiety. I just know that when because also I'm a diamond medallion diva on Delta. I I fly a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I know when you line up to get on first class or diamond medallions, you get on the plane first. I know that everyone is staring at me because I usually am wearing a sports bra, a hat, no makeup. And I I don't look like a person who can afford to travel that way or deserves to travel that (laughs) way, which is an insane sentence. So I feel people staring at me. And sometimes uh, gate agents will go, oh, we're only boarding first class. And I go, well, I'm so sorry. I'd love for you to look at my ticket and then say something. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. And then sometimes flight attendants treat me one way until they look at their what like manifesto or whatever, where it has your name. And they'll recognize my name. Yep. And then all of a sudden it changes and they're kind to me and they're nice to me. And you're like, oh, this is insane. I bought the same ticket as this person next to me mm-hmm. who you're kikiing with. And, you know, you're just like, oh, I'll do X, Y and Z. But like you're just fully ignoring me until. Yeah, it's just planes in general is just another way to keep classism alive. It really is. I mean, few things have been as illustrative to me about class and access as travel. Because mm-hmm. like you, I travel enough that I'm diamond medallion. And I also am executive platinum on American. Like, I'm always Ooh, on yes, a plane. girl, in the air. Fuck United. I don't have status on United. I'm like the I hate lowest United. tier on United because I hate them that much. I'm like, no, mm-mm. I don't even think I'm silver. I might be blue. It's really sad. (laughs) But the way that they treat you. And for me, sometimes like, and it happens weirdly, like that a passenger going on the plane sees me seated there and says, oh my God, I love your work. And then Mm -hmm. people notice that I must be worthy of kindness or human like consideration and everything changes. And, or if they mm-hmm. look at the manifest, but the sort of apathy and or indifference or disgust that they demonstrate until they realize that they can't do that is mm-hmm. just, it's very, it's painful for lack of a better word. Yes. And thank God I have a therapist that I can process all of uh-huh. this with because it's not something you can like go cry about on Twitter because people are going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. And they're right. Yep. Like given the terribleness of the world and the crises people are facing and the looming eviction crisis. Like, no, let's Mm -hmm. not worry about this. But fortunately, I can engage with a mental health professional about sort of what it does to your self-esteem and sense of dignity that you have to prove your worth as a human. Mm -hmm. And all the time, all the time. And, you know, what even I when the airline people try and engage me when I'm standing in the line to board, I just put them like I just, you know, I'm always quiet because I'm quiet in real life and Mm -hmm. I'm polite and I just like either show my ticket or like my little luggage tag or whatever. 
But when another passenger has the audacity mm-hmm. to police mm-hmm. me in the line, oh man, I, I can get real ethnic. I can get real ethnic. <laughs> I can get ethnic. I can just be like, mm-mm. Mm. It's also talking about this uh just extensively right now. I'm like, oh. These people aren't mad at me for being fat. They're mad that the seats are so small that they have to be so close to a fat person. And I didn't do that. The airline did it. So you're actually mad at the airline Mm -hmm. that's trying to make more money off of our bodies. It's so it's like capitalism. The older I get, the more I'm like, this is bad. Yeah, the system doesn't work for anyone. It's broken. As I'm sure you know, like when you start walking into the gate area, people look at you and you can just see that look of like, oh, my God, don't put Mm -hmm. me next to the fat person. Yep. And I always just think, I don't want to sit next to you either. Mm-hmm. But I have, I, I get it. Like, I don't want to be scrunched next to anyone for five hours, especially for those of us in LA who are going cross country quite often. Mm-hmm. I don't, I get it. Like you paid for your seat and you want to be comfortable and I paid for my seat and I want to be comfortable. And like, how do we band together and rage mm-hmm. against the airline? I mean, it's kind of like the French Revolution. Like, how do we all band together (laughs) and rage against the king? Because we are not the problem. Yeah, it's it's so bananas. Oh, wait, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Have you ever been on dating apps or no? Uh, Not much. I have been on (laughs) FetLife, which is a website and Mm -hmm. not an app. And I have been on... um, I did eHarmony briefly many, many years ago, and I I couldn't afford it. So I Mm -hmm. just like was waiting for communications that were never going to come. And I was also very briefly on um, Mm Match.com. And before I met my partner, I was about to go on Raya. But I've actually never (laughs) dated anyone online. I've put a little profile up and I've waited and hoped. But when you're a fat woman... And Mm -hmm. a fat black woman in particular, dating apps are kind of like a wasteland. People, and I was honest because I didn't ever want to have a first date Mm -hmm. with someone where they think that I misled them. So I put full bodied, accurate Mm -hmm. pictures. And in my bio, I was just like, I'm fat. So that like, it doesn't define me, but you need to know, like, if that's not your jelly roll, that's totally Mm -hmm. Fine. Let's not waste each other's time. Yeah, I I don't do terribly on the dating apps, but I also I'm not like succeeding. Mm-hmm. I just finding people is in person, I find is so hard. I and then I mean, now it's like, fuck that. Like, you can't go anywhere to meet anybody. No. So I just yeah, I feel right now at a I feel like stagnant water where mm-hmm. I'm like, I want to run. I want to be a beautiful waterfall. But Right now, it's like I can't I can't really do anything. I saw that Match.com, I think, is doing like Corona dating things with like little cute get togethers with people via some sort of video. So even the dating apps are responding because, I mean, listen, people need companionship Mm -hmm. and that's not going to go away because of a pandemic. So like, how do you make it work? And so at least some of the apps are starting to respond. I don't know if they're any good, but it might be like love at first sight. You know, no, you know what I'm talking about. Love love is blind. Uh, Love is blind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I think this is the opportunity for people to really meet some interesting people. And then, you know, Stick them down. Let's go. 
maybe I'll like go back and try it. I don't know. Yeah. I um it also was like a journey, not to like self-love, but like self-worth in a relationship with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like when I was younger, I was like, you know what? I'm I'm fat, so and I'm black, and I'm lucky to get whoever wants mm-hmm. to pay attention to me. And lately I've just been left and right being like, no, no, I'm not attracted to you. You wrote bullshit on your profile that like I don't give a shit about. I don't care that you love a taco and that's about it. Like you didn't write anything interesting. There's no jokes here. So I yeah, I think uh I think some would say that my standards are too high, Mm-mm. but I'm like, I just hold myself to a high standard. So no. why wouldn't I hold a partner to that standard? We're always told, especially as fat black women, that we should be grateful for any attention and mm-hmm. that we shouldn't have standards. And I bought into that for a very long time. I would say I bought into that until my current relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for the first time, I got to choose and sort of be in the driver's seat. No, you are not being too picky. Because first of all, this is someone you have to spend time with mm-hmm. and maybe intimate time with. So no, you should have the highest of standards. These people are yes. not good enough. You will know when your prince or princess comes along. And yes. Yeah, no. I think the higher the standards, the better. Besides which, you're fabulous. So, thank you. Um, your open really. You said you were in an open relationship. Mm-hmm. How was that? Your choice, their choice. How does that come about? It's not that it was an open relationship. It's just oh. that it was complicated, and and I was free to engage in entanglements. <laughs> <laughs> to borrow from our friend Jada. Did you watch that? <laughs> listen, listen. First of all, <gasps> I knew what the red table was, but and I would see clips online, but I didn't know mm-hmm, where to go find mm-hmm. the red table because I'm 45. Uh-huh. And so I wasn't going to be doing all that work. <laughs> and I got so desperate on Twitter. I was like, guys, how do I get to the red table? And thankfully, some of my younger followers <laughs> sent me the link. And so I did watch the shit out of that with Will and <sighs> his devastation. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, he That man mm-mm. was so sad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what does she have on him? Right. Why is he staying in this? Why are they choosing to a bad marriage for life? What? Why does she look like she's thriving? I mean, <laughs> she looked real happy. Now, I've heard so many rumors about the two of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to get into the sexuality rumors. But I, I mean, Will has had his fair share of rumors about other women that he's mm-hmm. been with during their marriage. So if Jada was getting hers... Uh, you know, do mm-hmm. what you need to do. But like, y'all, when you're at the point in your relationship where you're just getting back at each other over and over again, yes. maybe it's just time to be friends. <laughs> maybe it's just, you know, like this, you you raise two beautiful, intelligent, mm-hmm. engaged children and you seem to be great friends. And like, maybe this is enough and you can go and develop other intimate relationships with other people without, mm-hmm. um, you know, damaging each other like yes. i don't think it's something i think i believe in marriage very firmly my parents have been married for 47 years but i also believe that happiness is important and that mm-hmm. a bad marriage is not a good thing like you're no. not gonna get any points in heaven for staying in a bad marriage <laughs> i just don't so i actually never exercised my right to see other people um until i started dating debbie and then the other relationship i ended it within a week uh, or well, mm. actually, she dumped me. But um, within a week of um, meeting Debbie, things were it was complicated, but we're still friendly. Uh, and not to get super, super into it because it seems personal. Mm-hmm. But do you think 
that you were allowed to see other people as a means to an end? I, I yes. I, I no no. I think it was more just that until they could be fully engaged in the relationship, it was mm-hmm. like it's only fair that you can see other people who might be able to give you the things that I can't presently give you. And so I don't know that it was a means to an end. I think it was an accommodation in terms mm-hmm. of fairness. But I'm a I'm a one person person. I you know mm-hmm. whether it's a woman or a man, I'm bisexual. Um, I can only do one relationship at a time. I don't have the emotional bandwidth to yeah. take care of two people other than like myself and my partner. Like that's enough mm-hmm. for me. And yeah, I don't know yeah. how people date multiple people and like see a different person every night. I'm like, that's a, that's like a second job. That's Listen, a lot when I of watch work. all these shows about the people in polyamorous relationships, uh-huh. you know, first of all, whatever works for you, I'm I'm so happy for you. Like do you? I have no problem with it. I think it's great. But like mm-hmm. when you're like scheduling, I'll take Wednesday, you take Thursday. I'm like, well, what are you just going to sit down and watch TV? <laughs> uh, just, yes. Uh, this seems like a lot of work. And I don't know. It's it's just not for me. But I admire people that can do it. Yeah, same. I when I'm just not even serious with somebody because I've only been in like one like real serious thing. Mm-hmm. When I'm just like dating someone for a couple months, usually I stop looking for somebody else because I'm like, well, I'm traveling, I have my career, I'm working, and I'll just pay attention to me and you. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case with the people I've dated. They're like either dating somebody else or they're like not looking for something serious. So it's just, oh, it's so exhausting. Is it hard to date here in LA? I think so. Uh, I think it's very hard because I think People do try to keep up with appearances. Mm -hmm. I think um, people are influenced a lot by what their friends say. And I've never been like fetishized. I've never had someone be like, oh, these roles are for me. I need to come between Mm. your fupa and your uh, whatever, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Who among us? (laughs) (laughs) But I've had men like... Just like touch me in a way where I'm like, you love this, Mm -hmm. but you're not affectionate in public. I think that's something I wish more people understood. You know, despite my best efforts, uh, I've never had a point in my life where I did not attract male attention. It Mm -hmm. may not have been the attention I want. Mm -hmm. It may not have been kind attention. But if I have ever, at least I may not have had a good relationship, but I've always had access to sex. Mm -hmm. And one thing I don't think people realize is that there is there are a lot of men who enjoy a big woman. Yes. And what's heartbreaking is that they don't enjoy us in public. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if you can't love me and all of me at brunch or amongst your friends, mm-hmm. then no, what you the like the way you treat me like a queen at home behind closed doors, that's not enough. Mm-hmm. It's simply not enough. Yeah, and I think I've been, like, disillusioned because my dad was, (laughs) so my dad was very dark, Mm -hmm. like, pretty muscular, rode a bicycle, played tennis, was very active, and I grew up in this all-white neighborhood, and when I got older, I was like, oh, my God, my dad was these women's black fantasy because Mm. they would drive by our house and be like, hi, Trevor, how are (laughs) you? And he would do yard work and bike shorts, so it's like... (laughs) Big black dick was just out for these white women Mm. and then had my fat mother 
So I was like, yeah, I, of course I'll get somebody attractive. My dad was conventionally attractive, of course. And then you grow up and you're like, oh, not that this was an anomaly, but this is not the norm mm-hmm. in the real world. So like I brush up against like, yeah, I deserve someone I find hot. And then society is like, actually, you don't. And I'm like, wait, this is confusing. <laughs> it's so- very confusing. And, you know, I think it's an active for me, it's a daily reminder. Like I deserve to have a hot partner and mm-hmm. someone I find hot who finds me hot in return. Because I certainly have moments where I'm just like, oh, man, I'm so outclassed here. And especially, you know, L.A., I love L.A. I love it here. But it it is it can be really challenging because it's everyone is so beautiful and thin and like obsessed with fitness and like you go to meals with these people and like it's one of the few places i've lived and it's not all angelinos before y'all try send me your crazy ass emails (laughs) but a lot of times people leave carbohydrates on the table they sure do i'm like it's the one place where the bread basket is overflowing at all times Mm -hmm. and it's just hard and then when you go out with someone who is conventionally attractive and and thin and People look at you like people, especially because we're in a lesbian relationship, people don't always think that we're a couple. Mm. They often sort of think that we're friends or maybe co-workers. And I'm just like, we're holding hands Mm -hmm. and she just kissed me. Like, what do you even when you give them ample evidence, they're just Mm -hmm. like someone who looks like that can't be with someone who looks like me. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be really... It can do a number on the self-esteem. This is so funny. I am now real. So Sashir so Zameda is one of my best friends in the whole wide mm-hmm. world. And we vacation together. And it we always are like, nobody ever thinks we're dating. And we get like offended by it. And now <laughs> it makes sense because she's conventionally beautiful. And I'm fat. And it never occurred to me. I was like, these people are just homophobic. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I for so long, I was like, it must be homophobia. <laughs> Because, like, when we when we travel together, uh-huh. people never think we're girlfriends. Like, even when we told one of our guides in Egypt that we're a couple and getting mm-hmm. married, he was like, so how long have you been friends? Mm-hmm. And not he wasn't being euphemistic and using friend for girlfriend. He genuinely did not process the information. And I just thought, OK, all right, well, you know. That doesn't negate our truth regardless, but it it can it can be really wearing because then you just think, oh, maybe they're right and I'm lucky and I should be grateful for this instead of like maybe we're equally lucky to be Mm -hmm. with each other. Like nobody ever thinks that like she's the lucky one. And man, that's where it just it's hard. Yeah, that sucks that. The emotional labor that you have to do as an other in this society is brutal and it's Mm -hmm. exhausting. And it's a heavy load to just keep being like, I am worthy. I do deserve this. I'm just as valid as any other. I'm just as valid as a person who's 100 pounds. Yeah. It's, and I just want to, like, write cool shit and be funny yeah. and, you know, hang out with my friends and be a good daughter and a mm-hmm. good partner. And y'all have me doing all of this work. So <laughs> I do all of this work for 20 <laughs> hours a day. And then maybe I have an hour a day to do, like, the work that actually pays. It's not nice. (laughs) No, it's not. Well, 
that being said, we've come to the end. Roxanne, thank you so much for doing this. Talking to you is always a delight. I usually ask all my uh, all my guests this. Sometimes I forget, but would you date me? Oh my god, I would absolutely date you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I love I love when people say that they would date me. It makes me so happy. I can't um, believe there's another answer. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah. Of people are like, oh, well, Wait, and are you're you like, serious? okay, that's a no. Oh, yeah. I've had people say straight up no. What? <laughs> Which is oh. fine. I'd rather people be I mean, be that's, you honest. know what, though? At least they tell you the truth. And so you can just like, yes, mark them off like, all right, no goodies for you. Do you have anything that you want to promote? I think this will come out in like two weeks. Sure. I, I have a comic series out right now called The Banks. And it comes from TKO Studios, which is also based here in L.A. And it's about three generations of Black women who are master thieves. And I'm really proud of it. And I would love for people to check it out. Wait, I what is it? Uh, The Banks. Okay, I need to write this down because I love that. I uh, (laughs) set it off as one of my favorite movies. And I love uh, Women Robin. Okay, I wrote it down. Okay, so if you like this episode of Why Won't You Date Me, you can like, you can subscribe, you can leave me a five-star review on iTunes or one star. Those are funny, too. Uh, But if you write me something hitting on me, I will read it. And this person said, I want you on your belly. I want to stick Hershey Kisses up and down your backside, put some Kit Kats in your ass cheeks, and bite them off one by one. Reach up and kiss you, tasting that delicious chocolate wafer delight. I want to eat a jumbo Tabasco-flavored Slim Jim in your cooch. Oh, that might hurt me. Coupled by a hot pickle. Ew. And taste those juices overflowing. Pickled delight. Welp, that was one. (laughs) Oh, my God. Come on. I'm traumatized. I mean, like, wait till the second date. What the fuck? Why are men like this? Why are men like this? I don't know. Why do I even want to date them? Uh, The worst one I got was somebody said they wanted to turn me upside down, fill me with clam chowder and eat the clam chowder out of me. And I think that will stay with me. I mention it so much because I can't get the imagery out of my head. It's so were they crazy. meeting actual clam chowder or was that a euphemism for semen? No, no. They want it like new. They said New England style clam chowder. <laughs> oh, I wish it was a euphemism for cum, but it was not. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry that I've now left oh. that <laughs> with wow. you. <laughs> I um. I'm going to be thinking about that for <laughs> quite some time. Thank well, you. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Thank mm. you so much, Roxanne. Okay. Bye bye. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. 
Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. Do you know someone struggling to figure out their mental health benefits? The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office is here to help. Find us at insurance.ohio.gov slash G-E-T-M-H-I-A or call us at 855-438-6442. Don't wait. The Mental Health Insurance Assistance Office can help you figure out what mental health insurance benefits may be in their plan. Call us today at 855-438-6442. 